Hey there out there. You are deeply tuned in right now, man, to the Real People Podcast. I'm your host once again, Andrew Ginsberg. Welcome to the show. If it's your first time tuning in to the Real People Pod, welcome. I think this is a good one to tune into. Will Stein is the guest today. Climate change expert, former Googler, dedicated his life to the noble cause, the pursuit of saving the planet. And I think this was um, actually the episode of the show where this podcast really caught its stride. Uh, for the longest time, I've been trying to figure out, like, what am I even trying to do? What's the purpose of this thing? I'm just kind of experimenting, trying different kinds of guests. But I think with Will, it really came together for me. This thing is about purpose. It's about talking to people about their passions and what their purpose is in the bigger picture, man, in the scheme of the cosmos, and having a deep conversation about that. What drives you? So I think we hit the stride here. Welcome to the show. If you're returning, you already know the deal. It's going to be me talking to my friends about crazy stuff. So Welcome. My deep 30-second thought this week is around where is this all going? Not just this podcast, but life itself. So today is my birthday, if you're listening, on Monday, September 14th, which is when I put this out. It's being delivered through an auto-trigger. I am unreachable, uncontactable right now. I'm, I'm deep in the woods, five hours from New York City, in a state park called Cherry Spring State Park in Pennsylvania. It's supposed to have the darkest skies in the Northeast. I rented a cabin. I am alone. I don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> it actually sounds crazy now that I'm starting to say it out loud like this. I don't have Wi-Fi and my cell phone's not working, but I've triggered all these things to deliver content to you automatically while I'm out there staring at the cosmos. And I'm trying to put it together, man, I'm trying to put together the big picture, figure out where I you know, fit in, meditate a little bit, contemplate my next move. I think it's, it's good to reset now and then. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm out there celebrating my birthday. Look, did I imagine when I was a little kid that when I was 32, I'd, you know, be out in the woods by myself my 32nd birthday, single except for a cat, high on edibles, listening to Ram, Ram Dass lectures? Not necessarily. Did I think that sometimes I'd order the maki dinner for two from the sushi place down the street and eat the dinner that was intended for two people by myself? No. I don't think I necessarily thought that that would be the case. It's not the same as eating a lot of sushi, getting the maki dinner for two, because you're actually eating two dinners. You know, there's two soups, <laughs> two salads, two, th you know, two combos of rolls, two desserts, and like the containers are for two people. So you're actually eating something for two people. That's, that's kind of depressing. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy for all I do have. I have my apartment in New York City that enables me to think I'm better than my friends and family. I have my general sense of well-being, and God damn it, I have my podcast. So I'm excited about all, about all that. Happy birthday to me. Um, hey, man, if you're out there and you're searching and you're thinking I'm getting older, take it from me. Helps to get out there, helps to reset, helps to look at the stars and contemplate how we're all light and we're just looking at a reflection of ourselves in the sky. Now, I'll leave you with this notion, something I think about a lot. Since it's my 32nd birthday, I'll impart some wisdom now that I'm old and wise. I think that the older I get, the more convinced I am that life is just sort of an unfolding of events cosmically like it's unfolding it's happening to all of us and we're all connected we're all deeply connected in some way and i think the best thing that you can do is treat your life like an improv game i'm, I'm convinced of that if you've, if you've ever taken an improv course in your life that's what life is like you you say yes and you play you play your role in the game you move the game forward you find out what's funny and unusual about your life and you play it man and that's kind of where i'm at i'm andrew ginsburg and I'm just trying to do the best job I can at playing the Andrew Ginsberg part 
so that I can move the whole scene forward, man, together. Let's get this thing off the ground. My guest today on the Real People podcast is Will Stein. Will Stein is a former up-and-comer at Google who was searching for some meaning and purpose in his life. We actually took a trip to Iceland together, talked about it, and he realized he wanted to take on the fight against climate change. Now he works for a clean tech startup called Carbon Lighthouse, which is dedicated to improving our situation here on Earth through the use of clean energy. Will is a very interesting guy. He's an expert on climate change. I think he's probably, we didn't talk about this on the show, but I think he'll be a U.S. senator one day. He's a a really, really fascinating individual. I'm I'm grateful for the time I had to talk to him. And I think the subject of this show is timely, important, and I actually do believe that everybody should listen to this episode, not just because I made it (laughs) and it's my birthday, but because I really think what Will has to say matters. You know, it, it really, really matters. So without further ado, introducing Will Stein. Our friendship, I feel like, is unique because we only really hung out three times or so. Yeah. About, right? But, but they were really intense times. intense times. Yeah. And sometimes those intense hangouts can, like, be more meaningful than, like, 10 years of, of friendship. Oh, with, well, thank you, Andrew. You know what I mean? Though? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, just, I was just kind of reflecting on that because you were a friend of my old roommate, Brett. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Iceland together. Right. And we lived in a van for two weeks. Shared a bed. Shared a bed yeah. in, the, in the van in the back of a Dodge four by four yeah. and a trailer on the back parking on the side of the road and then sleeping together in a, a hell bed. of a rig that thing <laughs> and so i don't know i just like that experience was pretty intense and so i feel yeah. like because of the intensity of the experience i feel like i have always known you in and out you yeah know what I mean? well i mean space. the trip itself was was kind of intense we were 10 days to explore the entire country and yeah. we made the full lap yeah we, cir- yeah we circumnavigated so all we did was talk drive listen to music yeah. and like chase the northern lights yeah exactly you know? And that teaches you a lot about somebody because you have to talk about yourself. There's not that much else going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that country is a pretty like fascinating country to like find yourself in. I feel like absolutely. You know, like it's like the land before time. It is. Uh, I remember um, there used to be this airline. Wow, remember that? Yeah, I think it went we took of, Wow. Yeah, we took the purple one. Yeah, they went out of business though. They did. Yeah, it's gone. Well, it was like three hundred dollars round trip to fly to Iceland. <laughs> no wonder they went out of business. <laughs> Well, nobody knew Iceland was, was there. They thought it was uh, made of ice, yes. I think, people before people started they flying. They have a them. real branding issue in Iceland. <laughs> Bad name. They have they to gotta figure that out. <laughs> I know. It's like Greenland really cornered the market on a good, good name Why for Why do you think island. Trump wanted to buy it? He's like, ooh, this <laughs> lush pastoral place. Greenland would be named even better if it just said Trump. Trump links, baby. <laughs> Trump links, Greenland. Trump links, Greenland. That's what they could rename the whole country, too. Why not? Like, <laughs> um, but Iceland is, is not full of ice. It's luscious and green, and, yeah. and, and there are parts that are snowy, but uh, yeah, yeah. it's like the land before time over there. So it's like it's, it's the kind of place where you could really go find yourself, and it was cool that they kind of started flying people to, a, a, I think, a corner of the earth that like a lot of people don't ever think about. And we yeah. got to experience that together, too, which was Well, and it powerful. has become somewhat of a tourist destination now. I mean, you got the we went to the tomato place where the Kardashians went. Oh, yeah, and uh, was it called Seidesfjord? Uh, no, that was, was Friedhaven or something. Uh, Friedhaven, right. Yeah, Friedhammer. <laughs> Something ice-ish. Is that the Kardashians went there? Uh, that is how Brett found it. Brett's sister saw it on one of the Kardashians' Instagram. It was like, you have to go here. <laughs> I didn't know that until now. And we went twice. <laughs> so, it kind of changes my perception. Of I should never have told you. you should, it's, I thought that we discovered it organically. This, so this is the problem with memories. In my mind, if someone said, well, what would you do in Iceland? I said, well, we ate at this great tomato restaurant. Yeah. And we found it organically. It was this, this is how I tell the story. Yeah. There is a beautiful greenhouse. 
and uh, and they 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 made their own energy from the greenhouse, and they just grew tomatoes in the middle of an ice patch in Iceland, and then had a restaurant where they made tomato soup. Yeah. But more, really, more or less Brett correct. saw it on, on a Kardashian Instagram. Yeah, we didn't find it organically. The only organic thing was the tomatoes. The tomatoes themselves, yeah. which were delicious. Oh, it worth the second trip for sure. Yeah, we went back at the very end, right, yeah. to get the tomatoes. And so when I reflect on that trip, it's like tomatoes and northern lights. Two best, two high. Pretty good summation. Pretty, pretty good summation. Right? Yeah. You said we were chasing the northern lights. I like, uh, I think I want to talk about that for a second. Like the Northern Lights, for sure. Uh, that whole experience, and then uh, what, it was otherworldly. What came after? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, the way I remember it was like you and Brett like weren't that into the idea of seeing them. We weren't as into it as I was at that time. I remember it a little differently. Let's see. Her. Oh, I, I mean, I, it was my priority was to see them for sure. Right. And we kept checking like the cloud map to see where our most likely place seeing them was going to be. Right. But I was I was not of the mind like okay let's drive you know six hours out of the way right. just to see them. I was right. like if it happens for us great that'll be magical. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't you know all right we'll have to come back. Right 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 that's true. And but and I was of the mind of I'm here exclusively to see the yes. Northern Lights. I don't care. If you were hell bent on it. Had to see them. Yeah. Because uh, I had just heard it was uh, transcendent. It was amazing. Well, and then when we finally started seeing them, Brett and I are inside the van. You're outside the van. Yes. And you knock on the door. I'm and you're so like, glad you remember that. Well, you're like, guys, I think something's happening. I'm not sure if this is it, but like, you should come take a look. <laughs> and we pop out, and there's just like purple and orange and green pulsating through the sky. There's yeah. like clouds looked like they were breathing and expanding yeah. and contracting. And it was like truly mind-blowing. And yeah. we're like, yes, you idiot. This is it. We did it. <laughs> we finally did it. We're in the West Fjords. There's nobody around for miles, and we finally got to see what we came to see. Yeah, they, um, you guys, so we, we got out to the West Fjords, and we were miles and miles and miles and miles, I think, from even like a light yes. from anything. Yes. Um, hold on, sorry. I was waiting for that siren to die down. Mm. Um, from miles and miles away from anything. Yeah. And I remember you guys were like, all right, call us when the Northern Lights start, because there wasn't supposed to be yeah. a storm that night. We were inside think. reading or something. You, you just were just taking a load off. Maybe dozing off a little bit. It was late. Yeah. It was like 1 o'clock a.m. It was late. And I remember it was cold out, too. And, uh, yeah, it was chilly. I remember uh, getting out there outside the van. You guys were inside. And I was sitting there, and I had 12 beers. And I cracked one of the beers. Or we had bought, like, beer at some Yeah, we got some beer. We had some beer. It was like a, like a Heineken. I don't know. A lot of the details are important. It was like a Heineken or something. Cracked yeah. the beer. Sipped the beer. Look up at the sky. And I say out loud to the sky, which I never do. You know me. I'm not much of a religious guy or whatever, but I said, uh, man, if you're listening, whoever out there, like, can please. I just, please, can I see these lights? It's the yeah. whole reason that I'm here. You know? Yeah. Well, and Brett and I, it, Brett and I were inside and we had taken, eaten some of those, um, the chocolate covered blueberries. Uh, with the, the pot weed edibles them. that I, exactly. I, you, did you smuggle those I in? smuggled those in. Good for you. Uh, you're talking to an international drug criminal. <laughs> Don't put that one in the pot. Con- <laughs> One container of Terra blueberries. There, it's the best edible for anybody listening. Highly recommend the Kiva Blues. You can only get them in San Francisco, though. I know, I miss them. They are. I, hey, I have, <laughs> I have a stash. Oh, of those. sure. Those, I mean, those are the best things to take if you take two of those and go see a movie. It's perfect. Best Sunday. So we had, we had done exactly that. We each like ate two blueberries, and you know, we were reading a little bit, chilling, and we come out there, <laughs> and I was like, "Am I high? Or is this really happening?" Yeah. And it was like a. I don't know what the word is, but it was a moment for me. Like I started crying, you know, yeah. I start tearing up me and too. I had this very salient moment where you could see the Northern lights and you could see the stars beyond them. Mm-hmm. And so you could tell like the relative depth 
for the first time in my life, and I really felt that like I am being protected by this invisible atmospheric shield, yeah. and like I'm on this little orb floating through this vastness of space. It was like a true perspective changer in a lot of ways. Because yeah, and for the first time, we could see it. You could visualize that protective orb. Like we, the yeah. colors represented something that was already sort of there. You right. know what I mean? We just right. were able to see it clearly. Exactly. That was a perspective shifting moment because, like uh, I, you know. It was a psychedelic experience. It was without the psychedelics. Without the psychedelics, it yeah. really happened. Like when you hear like the Buddhist talk or somebody like a Ram Dass, yeah, will say, you know, you don't need to take drugs, you don't need to do mushrooms or take psychedelics or you know take acid to get to this place where you're kind of breaking down the uh, the the forms that we see. You know, kind of like Plato's theory of forms, like behind it, like the cave. You know, outside yeah. of that, there's this whole different world that we can't see. And and he's like, and you can get to it naturally. And I never really thought that, really believed. Uh, but that was that moment. It clicked to me like, oh, my gosh, like there there's things going on that we can't see that we can attain that they are just part of the natural world. If, yeah. if we seek them. Um, and I just I remember you were tearing up. I, I remember looking at Brett and he's kind of like a big kind of jockey guy. And he was crying a little bit, too. He's not the tears type. No, nah, he's not the tears type. And I and I, it was really powerful watching all the colors explode. And I felt like I was like on a um, psychedelic trip. Yeah. And something about like the way that they were interacting with each other. Yeah. I mean, it was very dancing. Yes, it was very otherworldly. It was very like spiritual. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not a highly religious person either. Right. But for the first time, I was like, oh, maybe there's a, a higher power because certainly there's a there's a spiritual depth to everything that's going on. I mean, yeah. that was like almost confirmed for me in that moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and 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 the thing that I think people don't know about the Northern Lights is that I think when you see a picture, you see this green thing and like a green cloud in the sky. Yes. But we learned that the, it's actually fog. It surrounds you. Exactly. It surrounded us. Yeah. It came down and surrounded us. Like, the, it wasn't this consistent stream of color across the sky. It was right. this dancing, wisping cloud smoke that sometimes changed colors. And it v felt very much alive. Right. Which the pictures don't, don't give you jobs. You're used to seeing them as a time lapse. Mm -hmm. And so you see it you know, filling out the entire sky. It's a little misleading, these photos that everybody's putting up. Agreed. Because it doesn't give you the actual sense of what's going on. And honestly, the actual seeing it is far more powerful than seeing the picture. Sure. Despite I mean, the fact that the picture may like, quote unquote, look better. The picture might be cool to see. It might be a great desktop background. Right. But you can't, uh, I mean, it, it's really like, you're really like a part of something really, really uh, you ancient. Feel <laughs> yeah. You feel, you feel it. it. And they, they, I felt like they, the, I know this is going to sound so crazy. People listening are going to be like, what the fuck? But it's like, I felt like they were performing for us. Yes. They were reacting to us. Yes. To us enjoying well, it so much. Well, you remember much. we were playing Around the World by Daft Punk, and like <laughs> the, the Northern Lights were like dancing along. It was really like we had this little personal rave, but it was like the planet. Yeah, was the DJ. they were dancing along. Yeah. They were feeding off our energy. Because like, I remember we were all high-fiving each other. We were like, We were so Dude! fired up. We were so fired up. And there was a couple cars that drove by while we were out there, because we parked on the side of a road. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we had the beds in the truck, so we didn't have to go to a hotel or anything. Right. And people drive by, and I'm just like, they must think there's like these three <laughs> crazy fucked up kids on the side of the road just hooting and hollering. Like, like about what? About nothing. Just stoked. Yeah. Just stoked about the lights. Stoked uh, and stoned. I, I, stoked and stoned, and I was on a beer, and I remember just going to sleep that night, and I was wired with like what had just happened. Yeah. And um, the reason I wanted to talk about that story as an introduction to you and as an introduction to this podcast, mm -hmm. because the next day, I don't know if you remember this. Again, keep me honest. Mm -hmm. It was a couple years ago now. 2017. Well, this would be the last day of the trip the next day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, we were driving back to go to the mm -hmm. tomato place for the, la for mm -hmm. the uh, 
for the final time. Absolutely. And if I remember, I was so I drove the whole time. You, yeah. you guys didn't drive at all. I drove. Which, all- which should be mentioned. Like we drove. <laughs> I don't know how many miles in miles, but it was yeah. literally ten days of like basically nothing but driving. And this guy. <laughs> Drove the car the entire time. The whole time. I thought we'd be taking shifts, but I just got to sit in the front seat and DJ the entire trip. It was amazing. And, I, and Brett didn't want to drive at all. And no, I, I and not. normally nobody wants to drive with me because I'm theoretically not a great driver. You know, I've been in millions of car accidents. Maybe I didn't tell you guys that before we went in. You did not mention that. <laughs> but it all worked out. We didn't yeah. crash the car. <laughs> didn't crash the car. <laughs> Dangerous terrain I drove on, stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, that one waterfall that we went out and saw in the West Fjords, I think it was the Jandal. Oh, oh, that's right. The, the flus out there. That was yeah. a crazy crazy drive well, we were on that there's like no guard rail no guard rail yeah. the road was covered in snow and ice yeah and it was like a single lane yeah so we were just like hugging the cliff and just, at any point you make one wrong turn you're, you're driving down the side of a cliff yeah you're dead yeah you're dead because i guess in other countries they don't have the same fear in america there's like the liability of everything like Correct. who will get sued like Correct. they're just like just don't fucking die yeah they're like it's your fault if you <laughs> slip and fall sorry no no one come no one's been here until now so uh we haven't thought about this uh yeah Really, really interesting, though, to drive around the whole country. I was, I was happy to have the opportunity to do it, but Brett was sleeping in the back seat the next day. Me and you were talking. Uh, this, this, this heavy experience had happened. And I just remember we talked about, like, you were working at Google at the time. Mm-hmm. Smart guy, Will, working at Google. Yeah. I was working in publishing, and we were just talking about our future, like our lives. And you were like, you know, dude, like that experience last night, coupled with other things I've been thinking about, has made me kind of think, like, I need to do something more meaningful with my life. And yeah. we had a whole conversation. Do you remember that conversation? I do very much. Me too. I think I think about that conversation sometimes. Well, and it did. It spurred me to action. It yeah. was it was three months later that I quit my job at Google. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to hear basically what happened since then because like we sure. were living in San Francisco together. Yeah. Uh, we had this trip to Iceland. Yeah. And um, and you were moved by I think some of the natural elements in that country. Yeah. And you were mentioning that when we had that talk. So what's what's been going on the past few years? So you said you were moved to action. So in, in what way has that taken shape? Yeah. So the the action for me has always been I have to do something related to climate change. I have to be part of the solution. Nice. Because I've always been somebody who's very conscious that we have a big problem. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't accept that fact. Right. And so I thought to myself, all right, well, if I am somebody who knows it's an issue, yeah. But I'm not willing to do something about it. Huh. Then we're fully fucked. <laughs> Because it's going to rely on people like me and like you to like take some action, right? And so that's what I did. I, I started looking for jobs in clean tech, and you know I found a job with this uh, company, Carbon Lighthouse, that I'm working at now. Nice. I do energy efficiency for buildings, so it's maybe not the sexiest part of the climate change fight, but it's a really, really important one. Yeah. Like forty percent of emissions come from buildings themselves. Really? Yeah. So it's a huge piece of the puzzle. So I- we can't get to where we want to go if we keep using energy at buildings the way we have been. I didn't know that. I, I thought. Like when I think of climate change, like where it starts for me is the agriculture industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like the and, and I'm not saying I'm an expert in this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but oh, it's happily. like the like the consumption of water plus the CO two in the atmosphere from factory farming mm-hmm. is like the major catalyst for climate issues. Yes. And I thought that was a huge bulk of the percentage of, yeah. of the issues. That's one of the big three. It's three big things. Okay. That transportation and buildings. And buildings. Yeah. I've never even heard buildings as part of the equation. You know well, that? just think about your daily life. Like, yeah. you're always using AC or using heat, mm-hmm. and we have to burn something to produce that air. Interesting. I've yeah. actually never really considered that as Which much. Which is crazy. You think we're burning fuel to then cool the air. It's kind of, like, counterintuitive in yeah. a lot of ways. But that is what's going on. We're generating electricity to then remove heat from the air around us. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very backwards way of doing things. Yeah. 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 Well, good on you for, uh, for, for stepping up and... Yeah. Uh, 
Do you feel like that's like a? Do you feel like you're you're called to that? Is it a calling? Yes, it, it is. Yes. You said that pretty affirmatively. Well, so. and I've I've always felt like a obligation, an obligation to do some type of service. I think uh, maybe it's my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I'm I'm Jewish like you are, but not I'm overly s- religious. I'm sort of. I'm half. Jewish. You're like you're like Jewish. My last name's Ginsburg. So. Yeah, we'll count it. Like my dad said, no matter where you go and what you do, everybody will think you're Jewish. You kind of also <laughs> look Jewish. So like you, you stuck with it. I know. And like we just had matzo ball soup before we started well, this there podcast. You go. <laughs> They don't need to know that, but that's yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, my religious upbringing was all about, like, doing, creating a better world than you found it, leaving a better place for humanity than you found it, having a positive impact while you're here. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like that was a big part of who I was, and I wanted to do something like that. And, you know, my parents are doctors, and so I always respected them for having a career that helped people. Yeah. And I see all my friends leaving college, and they're going into jobs in finance, finance and consulting, and it's like, you know, okay, you're going to make money for somebody else, and you're going to make money for yourself, but who is helping the world? Who right. is making things better right. for everybody else? And so I think I always have had that um, element of service, and it was just a matter of being willing to make a financial sacrifice to have a better you know, emotional and spiritual well-being. Mm. And so it's a trade-off, but... And do you, do you feel that... So to me, like when you talk about uh, a trade-off to have spiritual well-being and you're talking about like a purpose-driven work. Absolutely. So this purpose at the heart of it, like when you wake up and go to work, do you feel like you're meaningfully contributing to a big part of change in the world? Yeah. I think a lot of people, what drives them crazy, like you mentioned about something in like the financial sector, or yeah. even like fin- even if you're in tech or like fintech or tech or whatever, uh, I think it can oftentimes feel... He- Empty because there's a difference between like sort of buying into a corporate mission statement mm-hmm. and saying I'm part of this credo and I'm part of the mission and we're advancing things. Mm-hmm. And then also, what does it really mean something to you? Do you really feel like the concept of meaningful work and purpose and you feel that you feel that as because you're doing something as it pertains to saving the, the climate? I do personally feel that. And, you know, that's actually one of the things that drove me out of San Francisco. I mean, you're <laughs> an ex-San Franciscan as well. Sure, so we're, both, uh, we're both out of there. Both reformed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, like the, the population there, especially within the tech community, no offense to anybody in tech, but sure. there's a lot of attitude of we're changing the world. We're making this really, really big impact. And then yes. you ask people, what are you doing? And it's like, yes. oh, we're improving click-through rates by 1% <laughs> on your online ads. And I'm like, well, how does that help the world? What is the positive impact that you're having there? And there's so many people like that who truly believe yes. what they're saying but are not doing anything for anybody else. I could not agree more. Yeah. I could not agree more. That was my central problem with the culture in San Francisco too, not to you know, insult anybody or yeah. anything like that. I lived with, when I first got there, I lived with you know, a, a few folks that were startup owners. It was like a house of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and things like that. I just kind of made my way into there. Yeah. And they talked exactly like that. Like, oh, well, we're really focused on you know, advancing, like you know, helping, helping enterprise businesses with their conversions on this, this, and, and it's yeah. like, at the end of the day, like, and they were saying it as if this, they said that this will change the world. They this truly will believe it. your brain. This will change the way it operates. Yeah. They meant it. But really, what does that even mean? Because we have to look yeah. at the problems that we're trying to solve really as, as, as people and as a community and then determine if those are worth solving. It's, it's a value. That's it. It's a question of like, is this problem worth solving? Yeah. Every, every tech company, when you want to come up with a product or idea, it's like, okay, what problem does this solve? Right. And it's like, okay, if it ac- is actually solving a problem for people, they will produce the product. Mm-hmm. But they're not taking the extra step of, is this a problem worth solving? <laughs> that's a really good – and what does worth even mean? You know yeah, what I mean? and that's going to be different from person to person, obviously. Sure. But if, if, if it was different from person to person, but there was a centralized – skeleton and a framework for which we looked at it well i think from my perspective we used to have that in this country okay there was a general feeling of like i want to contribute to this 
American experiment. Mm -hmm. You know, I want the U.S. to succeed. I mean, it's like Kennedy said, you know, don't ask what you can do for your country or don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Right. We have gone very far away from that. Right. Where there's not this spirit of like public service. Mm -hmm. It's very much focused on like, how am I going to get mine? Mm -hmm. I think that's an I mean, and it's great that your parents were doctors and contributed to the cause. I think. A lot of like, well, but that. doctors make good money, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in terms of the trade offs, again, it's like that's a job that you can do where you can feel good about helping people right. and still have a good lifestyle. Sure. And maybe that's the holy grail, and that's what we should all be aspiring to. I don't know. Something like a doctor. Like, in the, not in the sense like you have to be in the medical profession, but something like, yeah, like it helps people and you can survive and your brain is stimulated and yeah. you can sleep good at night. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we inherited. Our generation inherited the me generation from our from that generation of our folks. Not, Agreed. Not speaking holistically of all that generation, but for, if you took a sample of them, you'd say that this is a and it's not their fault. It's just a generation that grew up post Kennedy. Yeah. That was like you know it's really about um, you like you getting your yours like your your individual back, freedoms. Individual freedoms. Yeah. Exactly. The right you know you have your backyard and that's where you do what you want. That's right. Um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, and it's like. To, I think that in order for us to even address an issue like climate change, we have to really st take a step back from what was indebted to us, from that, like, break out of that. Like, our generation can't uphold that mantra of the me. It's the me gen They literally called them the me generation. Yes. You can't, we can't perpetuate that because, like, we need to take a step back and be like, it's not, it, we're not the me generation. It's the, like, we need to survive generation. Correct. So how do we go about changing the values of not only America, but it's like, it's like a global, it, it's a global framework that needs to change. It's the economy that needs to change. It's the values of like where people get their jollies from that needs to change. Yeah. So what are your, where do you start? You start with yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what everybody says, right? Yeah. Like you want to <laughs> yeah. be the change in the world that you want to see. You have exactly. to start with you. Gandhi, but yeah. I, I, especially with regards to climate, it's really hard to focus on individual action, right? there will be no amount of individual action that will get us to where we need to go. There has to be changes to the way we do things systemically. We have to change our transportation system. Mm. We have to change our agricultural system. Mm -hmm. If you and I stop eating meat altogether, yeah. that's great. It's good for the planet. Right. We'll still be screwed by 2030. Right. You that, know? That's what I always said about like when we lived in San Francisco. The, uh, I hated the water regulations and the yeah. rules. I, and I hated it for this reason, not because I couldn't take a long shower. I hated it when people would say, like, oh, did you shower for, like, longer than 10 minutes? Don't you know how damaging that is for, like, the drought and the water systems? Like, yeah. don't you know about the factory farms yeah. that are using all the water in the first place? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Especially in California, the whole Central Valley is filled with, like, these feedlot cattle operations. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, well, why is the focus not on these systems? Yes. Like, on these, why is it up to us as individuals to take shorter showers, which makes it a marginal dent in the problem in the first place? Correct. Well, so, that is the result of the fossil fuel industry. Uh, the term carbon footprint was a product of BP. Interesting. BP oil. How so? Well, they came up with the term. Oh, okay. They literally, they came up with the personal carbon footprint calculator, and that's how this idea of your personal footprint came about. And that's such great messaging, too. It's brilliant messaging because yeah. it, makes it see, makes them seem like they care about the issue, right. and it changes the onus for change from being on them to being on us, the individual. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, there's a, there's a statistic like 95% um, of the carbon emissions over the last 30 years were emitted by like 10 giant companies. Really? Yeah. So it doesn't matter <laughs> what you and I do. Yeah. And this and that's the problem is that people then get upset with each other for not taking the right individual actions mm -hmm. and it brings the whole movement down. Right. You know, it's like you're yelling at somebody for not being vegan. Right. That turns them off from doing what they should from be doing. From saving the planet in general. Exactly. 
Yeah, it's like if I can't go out and have, uh, you know, lamb and cumin noodles at my favorite uh, Chinese restaurant, then fuck the planet in general. Like, fuck yeah. these people. I, I, that's happening a lot, too, on our side, on the left yeah. right now, which is like we're at odds with each other, but we all kind of at our core have the same shared value system. So. Yes, at least there's a shared value set. But, I mean, you can see it. This so this is like an applause line for Trump is when he's like, <laughs> and they, won't, they won't, don't want you to eat hamburgers anymore. They don't want They want to take them away. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> that is not what it's about. Yeah. And he knows that. They Everybody knows that. But it's an easy way to, like, number one, laugh at the libs, own right. the libs. Right. But two, make people feel bad about not doing enough individually yeah. and distract from the fact that it's really just this small collection of very wealthy corporations <laughs> that are doing all of the damage. And then on top of that, I would – and I have no evidence to support with what I'm about to say. I'm just guessing uh-huh. that – you said it was 13 corporations that were the – that's what you said the number uh, was? I got to look up the actual stat. Some number like, like that. that. Yeah. So, like, I would say at the top of those co- corporations are probably 13 CEOs that go to some campfire in Northern California and just fucking drink some blood out of a pig or something and just talk about how they what don't do give a fuck. What do you think goes fuck. on at Davos? <laughs> it's a giant pig's blood roast. You know what I mean, though? It's yeah. Like, I, I feel like this is, like, so obvious to me that this is going on, that there's this, this small percentage of, of, of greed at the top that's manipulating, and, and they know how people are so easily – how easy it is to manipulate people through marketing messages because marketing in my opinion is is not my opinion marketing is the same principles as their psychological principles like mm-hmm. human beings feel empty they search for meaning and purpose they feel like they want to fill the void mm-hmm. and so we can sell something to them that will temporarily make them feel like they've done that um, through messaging mm-hmm. they but but at the end of the day they're still empty but that's great for us because then they come back for the next message mm-hmm. and they'll always be perpetually unfulfilled and I think that those people at the top are the best at the broadcasting of widespread messaging that affects our entire society. Mm-hmm. And there really is this like filthy. And I don't, I don't mean it like in a QAnon type thing. It's not. Like, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like it's not like that. But it's like the, the, there is this like disparate power structure. And I think that like I think that um, if anybody at the top, I think that they are conscious of this. Is what I'm trying to say. There yeah. is a conscious effort to undermine people waking up to these kind of things. Yes, because it helps them, you know, maintain their wealth and power. I mean. Yeah, their incentive is to keep things the way they are and not to dismiss the QAnon thing out of hand. Just <laughs> there's a reason why this movement is gaining so much steam mm-hmm. right now. People are so open to these conspiratorial ideas right. because of what they're observing around them is this system that feels like isn't fair mm-hmm. and that there is a small group of people who are, you know, controlling the way things work. Right. And I don't believe in it in the sense that QAnon does, where this, there's like this yeah. deep state conspiracy. And they're pulling eating strings. children and right. they're, you know, there's a sex ring that Hillary Clinton's a part. You know, I don't, right. obviously, yeah, yeah. But there are people <laughs> with a lot of wealth who live in a completely different world right. from you and I. Right. And like, don't have to worry about interfacing with the judicial system. Right. Can, you know, Trump said he thought a, a, a bunch of bananas cost $10. <laughs> I mean, these people are like, they're just in a different world. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. But I think in their world, they, they view it as like, there's them and the people in that club. And then there, there are, there's everybody else. And the knowledge is a threat to that. It's, it's always been a threat to that system. The American system is kind of built on that. Like, uh, you know, it was, it was built on, the, on these, on the, the, it's a republic, right? It's mm-hmm. even stated in our, in our creed, like uh, for one republic, mm-hmm. uh, a republic is not necessarily a straight-up democracy. A republic is elected officials, mm-hmm. you know, making decisions on behalf of the people. It's mm-hmm. not for the people in that sense. So it's it's just built into the fiber of who we are. So like when you talk about tackling these problems, it's just when you start to have this conversation, it becomes so enormous. It snowballs into such an enormous thing. So let's like, where do you start? Okay, like so you picked your issue: climate change, mm-hmm. buildings. 
which I respect. So you've got like a third of the big three problems yeah. that you're focusing on now. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about um, shying away from just like the big theory, the theoretical conversation that we've just been having? So what, what, are, what is the plan now? Like as, as a person alive in this world with all these problems, you're in this, like, what, how are you addressing this as, as a part of a company that, that addresses the, the waste going on mm. in building management and, and, uh, and electricity? Well, in terms of like the actual mechanics of how we do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you could, let's, let's talk about that. But then also just like, uh, like how you feel like your life journey fits in the picture. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. well, for me personally, the, to the life journey point, yeah, I feel like at least I can go to bed knowing that I'm trying, yeah. I'm, I'm making an honest effort at solving the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think if a lot of people started asking themselves that question more often, yeah. like, am I, part of the solution or am I part of the problem? And right. it doesn't have to be climate, you know, pick the problem that matters to you mm -hmm. and try to do something about it. And so that's just helped me feel better about myself, feel like I have a, a better understanding of my place in the world, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel more comfortable as a result. Right. You know, I'm just happier with me. Right. I don't feel like the sellout that I did for, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, and that hangs, that weighs on you, man, when you It work. does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And like, I'm fortunate enough that I come from a background that I can afford to take a trade-off from salary for industry. Right. You know, and maybe not everybody has that choice. Sure. And so I'm aware of that, but I've been given those blessings and that position, and so I have to do something with it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, hey, man, I mean, and that's great because I think, like, a lot of us kind of go through life feel, feeling like a sellout. But yeah. what it really means is, like, you feel like you sold out yourself, like your own your own, your own. Your own like uh, your own morals, the like stuff your, that you care about, the stuff that you care about. You sold it out yeah. when you when you made that decision. And to, for what? For money? Exactly. For what? Well, for what? So it's like for things, right? Like for money, but then that means like for for this depiction that that our, the the me generation had of the dream mm -hmm. um, of the of the system that's in place that you feel like you want to participate in, which ultimately leaves you unfulfilled anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like that's why I'm saying it's up to us to zoom out of that. Yeah. Because what are you selling? And do you have to sell out? Like. So that's why I really admire what you're doing, like working with with in the sector, because it's like, well, I, 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 I can still do like I can still work in an office. Yeah, I can still I do work. Look in an at office. analytics. You yeah. know what I mean? I think when people think like I feel like a sellout because I'm not fucking playing electric guitar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, there's another way to view work. Absolutely. That's I, I can totally understand that. Like I can take the go to market messages that I make as part of a marketing campaign and apply it to something positive. Yes. You know, to something positive in the sense where it's, it's making a difference in the planet. Yes. In our civilization, you know. So so how is that? I guess as a function of that, what, how are you guys doing what you do? Um, so in terms of how we actually do it, we yeah. use a lot of sensors to collect data from the buildings wow. and then use that data to figure out how to run the equipment that's there more efficiently. Okay. So we're looking for like trade-offs between the pieces of equipment that create the conditions in a building. So I'll give you a very simple example. Uh -huh. uh, at a big building, they'll have something called the central plant. Mm -hmm. Normally got a chiller and a cooling tower. Okay. The chiller creates the cold water. The cooling tower then uh, pumps the water through it and expels the heat. To, okay. the, to the surrounding atmosphere. It's like HVAC 101. Bingo. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so all we do is try to, in our software, figure out, okay, is running the chiller harder and pulling back 50% on the pump, can we, um, or 50% on that cooling tower, can we deliver the same air conditions hmm. and use less energy to get there? That's all we're doing. It's nothing like super groundbreaking, hmm. but it's low, it's low cost, it's high yield for the people that we work with, and so it makes it a little bit easier to make this environmental pitch to people because there's financial value associated with it too. Is it scalable in the sense where like, is every building unique in the way that you have to calculate this? Do you have to take on a uh, case by case basis or can you say, well, this, 
this works for these types of buildings and then scale it across the world. Yeah, so there is there is some general scalability, but each building is different based on its operating hours and, you know, the type of occupants that they have, the use of the building itself. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't go into a hospital and tell them that they should turn off their HVAC system right. from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Right. Because there's people staying there overnight. Sure. And if you're not circulating the air, something's going to build up, and then you got, like, a Legionnaire's outbreak somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, And yeah. we don't want to be responsible for that. No, of course not. So each building is, like, a unique little snowflake um, in that regard. Hmm. Yeah. So you're just kind of building up a catalog of buildings that you've changed. Yeah. Where, um, I mean, where do you start? How do you even, how do you even approach – do you, do you start with a city? Do you start with a highly – polluted city like uh you know have you gone to like bangladesh like you know like where, where does it start you <laughs> yeah know? well we're not international yet so okay. i guess it starts in the u.s gotcha Good. um right. and we we started in san francisco the company did so i guess uh. you start in the bay area like all these companies today <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um but you got to start with the you got to start with the person who owns the building because yeah. they're the only ones that have the power to say yes or no interesting you know like they own the asset and you're asking them to give you money to make investments into the asset mm-hmm. so it's got to start with them and people in those positions in these positions of wealth and status have a responsibility to yeah. do the right thing by everybody else huh. and are currently abdicating that responsibility <laughs> especially with regard to climate really I mean, look at the look at the results around us. We've had crazy fires in California. Yeah, we had two hurricanes hit the same part of the country last week. Mm-hmm. The rate of ice melt in Greenland right now is matching the um, the UN IPCC's worst projections. We are currently in their worst case scenario. Right. So things are bad. <laughs> yeah, things are really bad. I don't think people are talking about it enough. Yeah, there's a lot of other distractions right now from this like big existential crisis that we face, and right. it's really hard to wrap your mind around something so existential. Mm-hmm. But people need to wake up to the fact that things are bad, and it's not bad for your kids. It's bad for you right now. It's going to be really bad for you 10 years from now. Right. You know, like the seas have already risen. You have people who are already migrating. I mean, think about just in the context of the U.S., mm-hmm. how much um, controversy and conflict arose as people have started to migrate from Central America in higher numbers. That, yeah. that is only going to pick up speed. There's going to yeah. be more movements of people, and that itself is destabilizing to countries. And mm-hmm. so as you have these societies getting destabilized by movements of people, mm-hmm. they're less able to respond to something like climate change. Right. And so we are stuck in this very dangerous positive feedback loop right now. And when I, I don't, what you're saying is so true, and I'm not belittling it. Anyway, yeah. but it's like, is that the pitch that you give to the building owner? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And I was like, wow, Will's a great salesman. It's like, well, and, we and focus, here's where you fit in. Yeah, like uh, you have this responsibility. <laughs> if you don't do it, you're damning the world to, to ultimate death. Let me tell you about the migration pattern. They're right? not so receptive to that message. They like the mo- they like the dollars and cents. They're like, okay, yeah. what is this going to add to my building's bottom line? Which right. is, you know what? If that's the language that we have to speak to get this done, that's fine. But the language is, is, is you're spending this much money right now, and if you just invest X now, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be, you know, the, the ROI will be, will be insane for you. Probably, yeah. I, would, I don't know your numbers, but I would imagine over the top is usually the case, like even with solar panels. Like, yeah. if you put a solar panel, if you, a solar panel, I think, and again, I'm not an expert on this stuff at all, but I think a solar panel, if you add it to the top of your building, the solar company will usually install it themselves, mm-hmm. um, and then it becomes it pays itself off over time, and then eventually you make money off yeah, of it. Yeah, that's right? that's the general model for a lot of the clean tech type companies. Is it like that with your industry? With, with yeah, we're with, we're offering you know you invest X dollars up front to get Y dollars over time, and mm-hmm. the Y dollars will be more than X dollars at you know year three, year four, year five. Hmm. So you're going to get your money back in year five, and then you'll be 
making money from there on out yeah. based on relative to how you used to be doing things. So that's the climate model, right? That's the, that's the climate change model generally. It seems like, like what you just described is how a lot of companies sell it. Like, yeah. And it, it, it sounds kind of silly to use the word sell because it's like, do you really have to be sold on this concept? You know yes, what I mean? Yes, they do. You, they do, right? Yeah. Like you get to get these big pitches and stuff because there's yeah. so much, I would imagine there's so much bureaucracy and uh, political yeah. nonsense that goes on. And there's just a lot of competing interests, you know, for a owner of a building, energy is a pretty small piece of what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they spend maybe $2 a square foot okay. to heat and cool their buildings and run the lights and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, they're talking about leases that are worth like $60 a square foot. Huh. So the mine share that we have is smaller because it's, you know, proportionally smaller in terms of dollar value. And that's how people think. They're like, where is the most bang for my buck? Where am I going to make the most money? Mm -hmm. And so that's how people are thinking about it. Um, and with clean energy and like energy efficiency, it's forward looking. Mm -hmm. We need money today that's going to pay itself off in five, 10, 15 years. Right. So we need ways to get capital for these projects that doesn't expect to be paid back in five years. Right. We need like longer term horizons for these people making the investments. Hmm. And how do you approach that? It's a hard sell. Yeah. It's a tough sell. I'm not yeah. going to lie, you know? Because there it's is an aspect industry. of it that where you kind of have to convince somebody, like, you also just need to do this because you need to, we need you to do this. It's in your financial interest. It's in the interest of the environment. It's a win-win. It's a right. It's good for your public perception, your brand probably, yeah, right? absolutely. So I would imagine that would be, I'm just guessing, part of the sell. Like, you can also now say you're this kind of company that yeah. participates in this we thing. We can make your building carbon neutral, and you can market that to your, you know, millennial prospective tenants. <laughs> exactly. And people like that. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. I yeah. don't think it's a bad thing to say. I would love to, I would love to know that the building I'm I'm working in or going to every day was carbon neutral. You yeah, know what I mean that would matter to me. Yeah, like even in this apartment, I've signed up for the, um, it's all renewable energy that yeah. comes in here. You know, that's like, and it's funny because it's like that was like a choice that I had to make, buried in fucking, you know, tiny text at the bottom of an electricity statement. Like, mm -hmm. did you know you can go, clean? Yeah, and I was like. No, but I'll sign up for that right now. So I yeah. did. So um, it's just interesting. Uh, just, just something to pop my head while you were talking. Yeah. About I mean, these are the choices that people are asking individuals to make. Right. And if we instead just opted everybody in. Right. And instead of you having to go and check that box on your bill to <laughs> yeah. get the clean power, what if you were just opted into the clean power? And I wouldn't know the difference. No, you're still getting the lights. <laughs> the lights are turning on. The heat's working. And the AC's cheaper. working. And it's cheaper. And yes. in a lot of places now, it is actually cheaper yeah. to install renewable instead of building something like, you know, a natural gas plant or a coal. Totally. Coal I mean, my bill's been cheaper since I switched. Yeah. So it's a no-brainer from my perspective. Yeah. But you're telling the person who works at the company. So yeah. it's like, you know, we have to make them see it that way, too. Uh, I know. But I think that people don't – I think a lot of people, that at least people that I interact with on a regular basis, maybe they're aware of cli climate change. Everybody knows that it's coming. Or that it's happening. Do people know? People don't know what's happening now as much. I don't think. I think that's a thing that is not really being talked about. And like you said, I get there's an existential threat with the coronavirus, but that's all, that's pretty new, right? It's just yeah. February that we've been wrestling with that aspect yeah. of it. And you could make the argument this is a stretch. Uh, maybe it's a bit of like a pothead stretch here that I'm about to make, but like you could make the argument that maybe there would be no coronavirus or a virus like the coronavirus if we took care of our planet a little bit more, because I don't think that's a stretch at all. Let's Thanks. talk, you know, where did COVID come from? Where, <laughs> it came from a bat, right? That's what they say, right? That is what they say. Maybe it was a lab in Wuhan. Nobody knows, but, <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's just, turn, let's change. Let's, let's turn down the lights. We're this going is the deep conspiracy, state podcast. <laughs> Not that, but yeah, I say they say, because I think that that's the understood uh, current theory. Yes. I don't think anybody said we definitively know it came from. Well, and it's just, it's an accepted theory because we know bats carry a lot of viruses that right. humans are susceptible to. Like right. they study them in labs all the time. Yep. 
And you're right. If we did take better care of our planet, if we weren't expanding so far into these areas that have not been built up by humans before, mm -hmm. there would be more space for the animals. We wouldn't have as much interaction right. with something like a bat. There would be less chance for these things to spread. Right. So you're absolutely right. This is, in a lot of ways, a direct climate issue. I think so, because if you... If it, and I, the way I thought about it in my mind, well, the way you broke it down makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I was thinking, I think, a bit more bigger picture where it's like, okay, if you just think about – if you drive down the Jersey Turnpike and you pass Newark Airport and you see the, uh, the Linden Cogeneration Plant, mm -hmm. I think their tagline is envir uh, environmentally advanced or something like that, uh, whatever. It's, 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 it's just a building that's endlessly polluting into the sky. Mm -hmm. I passed it my entire life growing up. Yeah. And, um, you were breathing that in your entire life growing up. Constantly, right? Yeah. And it's like so – a, two things on that. A, if I develop some respiratory illness in uh, 20 years as a result of that, then that shouldn't be surprising, right? If they figured out that endlessly dumping over the town I grew up in caused me to have some disease. Like, well, because everything in nature is, is cyclical in that way where, it, like, you know, everything impacts the other. Everything is connected. Yeah. So if that same plant is polluting endlessly into a, a sky, then that is getting put into our, our water system, which yeah. then goes through the, the, the process of which it rains, yeah. you know? Um, it gets spread everywhere. And it can spread everywhere. So it's like, then that, on a global scale, then impacts nature. Yeah. It impacts, you know, just destruction of trees impacts the oxygen that animals participate in. Like, yeah. all the systems are intertwined. I think, like, we grew up thinking of everything so comp compartmentalized. Yeah. Like, this is a woody area. This is an urban area. It's the idea of wilderness yeah. that has convinced us that there is human environment, yep. and then there's animal and plant environment. And there's the, everything else. And the else. two are distinct. They're Which is not the case. Not the case. Everything is cyclical, right? And to connect it back and to our experience in Iceland, yeah. the Northern Lights helped show me that we are just part of one big system. Mm -hmm. it, you know, there's a, a phenomenon called Spaceship Earth when um, astronauts leave Earth for the first time and they look back on the planet and they see it <laughs> yeah. as a single organism. Right. As opposed to, you know, a place that humans are inhabiting and there's like monkeys and all this other stuff going on. Right. And that view really makes a lot of sense to me. Me too. Because... As you said, every little piece affects every other little piece. Right. I mean, think about climate. As the climate warms, the um, ranges for certain animals are going to expand. Mm -hmm. So something like Zika, which was a big deal a couple years ago for anybody who was paying attention to that back then. Right. Like, the reason that that was a big deal is because mosquitoes were migrating for, further north than they ever had before. And so we were seeing it in Florida for the first time ever. Right. And people get really freaked out because they're like, oh, this is crazy new disease. How did this happen? And this is going to keep happening as we continue to change the planet. And... Humans have existed in this very small band in, you know, geologic time. We've been around for like 10,000 years, and we've lived in a very stable climate for those 10,000 years. Yeah. And now, what happens to humanity as we enter into a new world, for lack of a better term? Right. Yeah. I mean, and I, I agreed. And I, I, well, I think it's just the, even the concept of humanity. It's like, again, that's an us yeah. and them. It's an us and them thing. Right. Like, it's like, uh, you know, we, I have this book here on my shelf. Well, not on my shelf, on my, uh, my coffee table. You mentioned when you brought in yeah. Ishmael. And I think everybody should read it. I would tell everybody to read it. Yeah. Um, and, but that really makes it – that book is actually the book that made it clear to me that everything is um, – like the earth is a single organism. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I had had that realization before I read the book. You know what I mean? But um, I, everybody should read Ishmael. But the, but the point is, like, when you, when, if you think about earth as just a living, breathing organism – and then you think about all the components of that organism. Like, what, what function does this... If you think about a cell, like when you're in seventh grade, yeah. you learn about a cell. A, a cell, it's got, like, what is it? The, the, uh, the ribo, you know, I mean, the... Uh, you get your mitochondria. Your mitochondria, your, your endoplasmic your reticulum, yeah, exactly, all exactly. that bullshit. Cell wall. Uh, you know, okay, these all serve functions to keep the cell alive. That's right. 
I think of the Earth as one big cell. That's right. Um, what would be the human function then, if if you th- if you view it as a cell? Because um, and I'll get back to Ishmael. This ties into yeah, Ishmael, but no it's like uh, if you if if you think of it that way, we're vi- we are the virus. And I know that's not an original thought, but we're turning on our own on our own cell. Mm-hmm. We're like a cancer that's mm-hmm. that's trying to kill it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think which leads up to the larger point that we're talking about. Like that's where you get coronavirus from. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was trying to say. We, we worked through it. It's like, like <laughs> it, coronavirus is like the Earth's defense mechanism. Right. It's in the immune, same way, it's an immune response. Exactly. In the yeah. same way that warming itself is like the Earth getting a fever. In the same way your body tries to burn off the thing right. that is making it sick. So when you ask the question, what happens to humanity? To me, it's like it gets what it deserves. Yeah. You know, because everything yeah, is Yeah, you sick. reap what you sow. Exa- that's how Earth works. Yes. It's cyclical. If you plant seeds, a tree will grow. That's if right. You, if you drill... Oil, you know, if you drill for oil, like you're going to fuck up the ecosystem. That's right. Uh, everything is um, connected in that way. And I think we've, we, we, we've moved away from, and this is where it touches on Ishmael, and also the TV show Lost, and also the great works of like lots of philosophers mm-hmm. like Plato and stuff like that, is that the thing I think that our culture doesn't understand, talk about, discuss is that there are laws. Mm-hmm. There are rules in our world. And we're not talking about the judicial code. No, of- and I'm not talking about a religious code. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about the Code of Hammurabi, don't kill. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the principles. Like, if you can agree that um, matter can't be created or destroyed, that's kind of like a principle, right? Like, or, uh, you know, <laughs> what goes around comes around. Yeah. Kind of stupid- For every action, there's an opposite there's a, reaction. There's an opposite reaction, yeah. right. Bob Dylan, whatever. So yeah. it's like... Uh, so I think like we've gotten away we 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 should be taught as kids like what an, an understanding of the rules the principles right that for everything for every action there's a reaction yeah. do you want that to be a po- for every signal there's a signal that comes back to you that's right Cause, because everything is cyclical well, because you're touching on the, the natural law of things right like right. there is there are rules and laws that uphold nature and just the way the world works you know in the same way that like gravity is a thing right if you kill off more than you should and the population can't respond you as the predator are going to run out of prey right and then you're going to die off right and so i think we used to teach teach that more we used to be taught the lesson that if you take an action there are consequences for your action Mm -hmm. we have gotten so far away from that because people are seeing a system with their eyes that is rigged Mm -hmm. and doesn't allow for the consequences to be brought upon the people who have taken these bad actions. I mean, I think about the financial crisis of 2008. Right. And we were talking about that a little bit before. Yeah. And, you know, that's, like, my second most formative memory in terms of, like, what has given me my political views and my views on how things should work. Mm-hmm. And you see this gigantic fraud perpetrated, and nobody gets in trouble. Right. You know, there's a couple fines doled out to companies, <laughs> but no individuals no. face any consequences. So people have been taught by what they observe with their own eyes, that they can do things and not face the consequences. Right. And that is what we're doing on a global scale. Right. And that's what people believe in all their hearts. That mm-hmm. trickling back to what we said earlier, that there's us and then there's the planet. Mm-hmm. If the planet is ours for taking, mm-hmm. like for, to take the resources, to, to build. And it's not. Like, it should be a relationship between us and the rest of the planet. Yeah. We're just a part of it. We're not special. The, the thing I love the most about the book Ishmael, which, like I'm saying, everybody should read, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite quote in the whole entire book is they go, you know, is explaining like human beings think that they're the best thing that was produced on Earth, like that the most meaningful, most important. And like that's everything else that happened didn't really matter until humans appeared as like you said, 10,000 years mm-hmm. ago. And it's like if you ask a human, it's like, OK, well, describe the history of the Earth. It's like, well, you know, there's volcanoes and then there's dinosaurs and all this crap happened for a zillion years and then it was forming. And, and then, then there poof. Was, 
And then, boof, humans appeared, like these kind, the ones that we are. And like, that's when history begins. And that's when it started. That's when it was the best. But yeah. if you were to ask a, a jellyfish, a prehistoric jellyfish, before humans enter the picture, can you give a history of the Earth? Yeah. They would say, well, there was all this stuff. There was volcanoes, you see, and then there was this, and then there was that. And then, poof, there was jellyfish. That's right. And that's kind of where we're at. Like, we think we're the masters of this fucking planet. We don't own the planet. Yeah. We're just fucking things that are on it. Well, and also <laughs> just to your point of, like, why do we think we're so much more important than every other species? I mean, right. I would argue we're one of the newest and least proven species in the world. Like, the right. jellyfish has been around for <laughs> millions <rule>. of years. <laughs> yeah. They have been able to hack it in this planet for millions of years. Maybe yeah. they're doing something right. Maybe we should be taking notes from them. Well, we should be because well, there's, no other, there's no other thing on Earth... That just attacks and kills things for no reason like we do. That's so true. It's true. Like, yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I hate when people say, like, oh, like, if you watch Animal Planet, like, animals are vicious. They're killers. Like, they, 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 it's part of their ecosystem to eat when they're hungry. Correct. But they don't just fucking slaughter things for funsies. Yeah. They don't, they don't take more than they need. And for me, this was one of the most important passages of Ishmael when, yeah. when he's talking about that, this idea between the, the takers and just those who are doing what they need to do to survive and not taking extra. Like the lion, yes, will go and kill its prey. Right. But it'll kill one antelope. Right. It won't stack up 30 bodies of antelopes and <laughs> save them for later. It's, that's not exactly. what they do. But if, and if, what, what was, not the animal, what was the animal that was doing the stacking that you just described? I said lion. Lion. But, you know. So, but if the lion did do that, yeah. if the lion did stack up 30 antelope, then, you, then the lion could have a bunch of kids and they could all eat off these 30 antelope for a long time. Mm -hmm. But then what happens when they run out of those antelope? Well, then them and that clan have to go now stack up 90 antelope to, right. to take care of the, the five lions. That's right. Then they need 10 lions because they've eaten that supply. And then you get what we're doing with the food supply system. That's right. Every time you spread out, knock down trees, build fa factory farms, the population increases. I remember being in kindergarten... And I remember the statistic was that there were 6 billion people on the earth. Now, what is there, 8, 9 billion people on the earth? I think we're close to 9, yeah. And how much less land do we have that's sustainably being farmed? That's right. So there will be food. People say, oh, how could there be food shortages? How is it going to work? This is how it works. Yeah. Us taking more than we need. Yeah. <laughs> and subjugating groups to only like certain percentages of people have access to it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it just seems like such a solvable problem. And it's like, if this is the way the world works, like if you were taught these principles as, as a kid, I'm saying you could kind of grow up with this lens of understanding it more. Like, and to me, I would feel nothing towards like, um, like I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could eat in a more sustainable way. I tr I do try to be mindful of it. You yeah. know, I'm fortunate because I'm, I'm doing well and I live in a city and I have access to like butchers and all that crazy. I don't have to go to like a supermarket. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I'm very, very fortunate within the system to be able to do that. Um, like I never eat like, like some piece of shit, you know what I mean? Like yeah. McDonald's or anything like that. No, we're eating good that. food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but also if you were just taught like this is how the world works, and like, oh, why did that like you know that lion kill that giraffe? Like poor giraffe, right? Mm -hmm. But the giraffe, in, from like a if you look at it from a Buddhist lens, it it, it fulfilled its the, it was done with this giraffeness. Yeah, it finishes karma. Like like the the and I think this ties into a lot of things. I just want to mention the Buddhist like the Eastern viewpoint of this because I do think it matters. Like it does absolutely it matters. Like the they, they view it as like everything on earth is participating in a game, um, a game where the rules and the principles are set. Yeah. Um, you're here to fulfill an unfolding of some sort of karma. That's like the purpose. So everything is on, in a state of unfolding. Yeah. You're all on a path. Uh, you can get off the path. You can get, you can like, you know, get lost, but like you're, no matter what you're channeling and you're, you're burrowing in one direction and really like life ends when you fulfilled that purpose. Like when, like whatever that was, like your karma is so it's like when you're done with your humanness, you're done. Yeah. Like, and then you go back to the source, right? And you hear humans talking about, like, people today, like, oh, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I have a purpose in life. Yeah. And I wonder 
if we were more focused on the actual natural way of things mm-hmm. and the natural order of things, would people feel a little more fulfilled because they're exactly. the purpose that you're aspiring to, maybe it's not quite as lofty as like, oh, I wanna, you know, change the world with this right. amazing idea. Maybe it's just like I wanna play my role in the natural system. I wanna play the game. Yeah. A lot of people would feel a lot more, you know, fulfilled. I really think that if I, I agree. Like if people I've heard this this concept of like a game theory like uh in philosophy. Mm-hmm and I can't even directly quote where this is coming from right now. I haven't thought about this in years, kind of just pouring out of my mouth yeah. from somewhere, some unsightable thing. But um, like if it, I like to view the, the world this way, that there is a, it's a game in a sense, not like it's like a fun, meaningless, it's not like a, like a football game. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's an important game because we're all, we're all it's learning lessons. It's the game lessons. of life. It's the game of lessons yeah. of like whatever like the karma that you're fulfilling on earth is. Yeah. And if... If we all kind of believe that, that we're all like, okay, you're in the game, and, and since you're playing a game, everybody has a role. And no role is better than the other role. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether you're the president of the United States or you're um, a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, your roles are the same. Yeah. Because like, it, all that matters is the, what, what the signal, the, the energy that you put forth into the world. Is it positive? Does it move the whole collective game forward towards an end? Yeah. Which is really the TV show Lost, so everybody should watch it. <laughs> but, but, uh, Second Lost plug, no big but deal. But you know what I mean, though? Like, yeah. Um, well, I, I think back to, so I studied abroad in Copenhagen, nice. Denmark, and yeah, it was an amazing five months, you know, yeah. I'm fortunate that I was able to do it. Right. They have something in Danish culture called the Yantalov, mm. which are like their 10 rules for society, and one of them is you are no more special than anybody else. Right. So their culture is very much like, you know, it's a pretty collectivist culture. Like, they pay really high taxes, everybody gets health care, yeah. you know, everybody can get access to housing if they want it. Like, it's a, it's a different system, mm-hmm. and it's much more focused on contributing to the, the group, the mm-hmm. collective, because they take for granted that they are no more important no more special than any other dane right and so i wonder if we had that idea would we be more uh better stewards to the world that we inhabit to the people that we interact with i think i think we would if we if we understood that like you have a role and if the the purpose of like when you do your thing it should make you feel really great and you can and you you feel like it feels you makes you individually fulfilled it it moves society forward as Mm -hmm. a whole you know um if, imagine how fulfilled people would feel like they wouldn't go through life searching how to fit into a made-up, man-made, constructed system. Yeah. You know, they would just understand that it's okay to do the things that you thought about doing when you were eight. Yeah. I think about the mid, the idea of the midlife crisis. Yes. Where it's like, okay, you know, I'm a 45-year-old man. I've kind of lost my mojo. I'm going to go buy a sports <laughs> car, and that's going to make me feel better. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is that idea? Yeah. And how is this a socially acceptable thing? Dude. It's like... <laughs> This should not be part of our society. People should not be going through midlife crises where they're like, oh, my God, how did I get here? I'm going to solve it by buying a nice car. I could not agree more. And, it, and nothing elucidates the problem more than that. Yeah. Like, I'm so lost as a human being. I've wasted half my life on things that I don't understand. Or care about. Or care about. Uh, that I now need to, to double down pretty much exactly. by participating in it even further. Yeah. By buying a sports car, which, like, even on its face value is so obviously unfulfilling. Yeah. Why would that make you fulfill driving? Like it, it's such. It, it, to, I think I don't know. Is, is this more obvious to us than it was to our the generation before us? Perhaps they really couldn't see it because there is an element of like collective. I do think we, to use the term like I think we are slightly more woke than yeah. um, than my parents were, for example. And it's like they're not bad people. We're just more woke than them. Just like a we're different just collectively more engaged with this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I never I. <laughs> Even as I get older now, like I'm gonna be turning fucking 32 next week. Yeah. Um, when this, no, not when this podcast comes out, but the week after that, I'll be 32. Yeah. And um, 
And I'm like, man, like really like, where is my life going? You know, like that's a question that everybody I think always asks themselves, but I really sleep well kind of knowing that like, I'm not doing anything that's like betraying like, like how I think I fit into the big picture. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm special or great in any way, but like even doing this podcast, you know what I mean? Like make, like, I feel like, like if it up to me, if we lived in the, the ideal, idyllic society that we're describing, I would like be very happy. Like I wouldn't have to be rich. I wouldn't have to be famous. I would just be really happy if I can go out and like publicly speak every single day. Yeah. And it wouldn't even have to be like an ego thing. Like it, I, maybe even being a teacher would be a good job for me. Like, you know, I've thought about that. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean? Like, uh, fine. But like, if I could just do that, I think I would just just be fulfilled. So I find avenues to do it within the, the system that I'm in. Yeah. But I can imagine if you never had that thought and you just became 45. I mean, how fucking miserable. Like, you I'm wake so glad up we got one day upstream. and have that thought for the first time. That's yeah. probably a very scary feeling. It's got to be fucking terrifying. Well, and teachers, I think, are a great example of the trade-off that we're talking about. Here yeah. are people who have this calling to teach and, and to help people learn and grow and, and become you know, better and, and whoever they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And they get paid like shit in this I country. Because it's not something we value. But what is more important than the person who is teaching your kids, <laughs> who is shaping your kids into who they're going to be? No, nothing. I, I always have said this since I was 17. Yeah. That we should pay te- teachers, if, if you're going to look at it from the framework we're in now with this economy, yeah. teachers should make like $140,000 a year. It should be... Uh, an esteemed job to get. And there are countries where it is. Singapore, has, teachers are like the highest paid profession. I, co- I completely agree with and that. And look at them. They're killing it. And they're killing it. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, and they advance. Yeah. Like they advance faster than everybody else. And I, I, I just don't understand like why <laughs> the most important thing is how you cultivate the future. Yeah. Why is it? it but it, it goes down to it's like people just don't fucking value like the no. things that you're supposed to value. It does seem so obvious to me. Teaching, such a simple one, yeah. should be valued by us. Well, and I think from... The parent perspective, a lot of parents think, okay, well, even if, you know, the teachers aren't that great, like, I'm a good parent, I'll make sure my kid turns out that way, Yeah. and I only have to worry about my kid. Right. It's the me thing. Yes. <laughs> it's just an extension of the me thing. And and not that there's, like, as a parent, your number one responsibility is to take care of your kid. It's not to take care of everybody else's kid. Mm-hmm. But if we all sacrificed a little bit, there would be benefits to your own kids and the people that they're, you know, in class with, obviously. Yeah, they wouldn't come out little fucking douchebags That's trying right. to out, outdo everybody. Isn't, isn't the saying it takes a village to raise a child? Yeah. It doesn't take one helicopter parent to raise a child? Yeah. You know, it's like we've gotten so far away from, like, what's, what's, uh, what really matters. And education is just the most valuable. I think the reason it's subjugated, not to be, again, not to tie back to, like, rampant conspiracy theories, but mm-hmm. it's like, I think, like, uh, because... the Education and knowledge is, is a threat to the structures. Yeah. If everybody was educated, had access to great education, there would be a major challenge. People would be like, what the hell are we doing? You well, know? I think, I mean, throughout U.S. history from like, you know, post-World War II U.S., we were making a lot of investments into education and we accepted that it was good yeah. for people to get more education, to learn more and to challenge ideas. That was a accepted thing. Mm-hmm. And now... There's like this really big pushback against knowledge and expertise. <laughs> I mean, you look at what's going on with coronavirus. Like, right. and Dr. Fauci is getting like death threats. Right. And it's like this person is somebody who is like respected by 99% of the country five <laughs> years ago. Right. And now he's got 30% of the country sending him hate mail. I know. Because he's just saying the the facts <laughs> of the situation. And I don't know if it's that people can't handle the facts. Yeah. Or they're just like willfully ignorant because it's easier. I think what's going on now, and this might offend some people, but it's just kind of like that generation fighting. But it's it's you know a flame is the brightest 
on a candle before right before it burns out, mm. right before the wick mm. burns out. Mm-hmm. It, that's when it's, and I think that this is one last bright flame for this way of thinking. Yeah, they're tr- they're just protecting uh, an idea that like. Imagine if you had if, if you had um, spent your whole life buying into a system. Uh, like you talk about being forty five and having a midlife crisis. Yeah, and and then you suddenly like everybody was kind of trying. I think this is where they're coming from. Like challenging it, saying it's wrong, trying to take it away. Um, these people are doubling down. They're saying yeah. "fuck you," you know. And and but I do think they will blow out. Yeah, and lose. So I think that's kind of the crisis. And also, you mentioned earlier back to Kennedy, yeah. like the, the mission of the whole country. Like we all wrapped our mind. A lot of that education and stuff was because we, everybody wrapped their mind around we want to go to space, like deep into space. It was about the space program. Yeah. You know, we want to be it – would, it would be cool to be like really good at math and science because you might be able to be an astronaut and yeah. go to the moon. Yeah. But there's no reason why a president can't be trickling that same message down about climate. Absolutely. You know? And they should be. <laughs> yeah. It, it would be, do a giant service to the world, obviously. But you can inspire people to do the right thing. You can make it cool to be passionate about climate. Like, we can, we can make <laughs> exactly. that choice as a society. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, we're, we're so tied up on the material aspects and, like, you're cool based on what you wear, yeah. who you hang out with what you drive, right. you know, where you live. And, like, none of those things make a person cool. <laughs> no. You know what's cool? Yeah. That Caring about the climate. Caring <laughs> about the climate. That is cool. And it's, like, it should be a no-brainer. Yeah. Because it really it is one of the few things that actually impacts everybody. Right. It doesn't impact everybody equally, but it does impact everybody. It, I think the sad dark statement that I'm about to make about this is like it will impact everybody. It point. already is. Yeah. I mean, look, the smoke that comes off from a wildfire in California mm-hmm. m- makes it to the east coast of the U.S. Right. The uh, desertification going on in Africa, the dust that gets kicked up there makes its way to the U.S. Yeah. We live on a single planet. <laughs> and as you said, all these systems are connected. Something that happens here affects something going on on the other half of the world. Yeah. And we need to accept that and accept the role that that means we have to play yeah. in this global system that we're a part of. Well, man, what do we do, man? What do we do, Will? That's the big question. And I, I have a slightly, despite the fact that I work in this industry yeah. and I'm like trying to fight back against climate, I have a view that it might be too late. Like based on what we're seeing, yeah. there's, um, and you know, bring up this idea of positive feedback loops again. So just very very quickly a positive feedback loop is one that feeds itself so like an action leads to another action that then increases the first action which leads to that second action Mm -hmm. ratcheting up again right yeah so the one that most climate scientists will tell you they're the most scared of is melting permafrost in the arctic and in lake siberia because there's a fuck ton of methane trapped in that uh uh, snow and ice Mm -hmm. and if that gets released we don't have any way of coming back from that because it's such a strong uh, greenhouse gas, yeah. and there's so much of it. And this is already happening. The tundra is melting. The methane is being released. We have reached the key tipping point that every climate scientist says we cannot get to this point or it will run away from us. Yeah. And we're here today. This isn't forecasted from 10 years from now. This is happening today. They are able to observe it via satellites. There's methane coming out of Siberia right now. <laughs> and so I kind of think we're fucked. Yeah, I share the same. I, I mean, I don't want to say it, and I and I and by the way, what I'm about to say, I want to I want to preface with, I think everybody should participate in trying to solve the problem. Absolutely, and, it, and it's a meaningful way to spend your life. If it is, fu- if we are fucked, n- you should go down swinging, right? That's what you yes. do in a battle. Well, and every little bit, especially with regard to climate, every little bit 
counts. Yeah. The difference between one degree of warming and two degree of warming is really, really dramatic. Yeah. But the difference between two degrees of warming and 2.2 degrees of warming is also extremely dramatic. Yeah. And so as you get a little bit further up that scale, each incremental tenth of a degree matters more and more and more. So it actually does, even if we're like past the point of no return, the yeah. stuff that we do today will have a big difference on what happens in 20, 30 years from now. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. That's a really positive spin because I was I was about to say, it's like I said earlier in the podcast, reap what you sow. Yeah. Maybe um, we deserve this. You know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, it's, it's a result of a, of a, of a failure. Like uh, even... Like every, I always make the joke that like even if you look at Trump, for example, like is is the embodiment of everything that went he wrong with the, the 90s. He is the perfect representation of the American population right now, from my mind. He is. He's, he's super loaded. Yep. But is he actually? Nope. Like he's fake, fake debt. rich. Like fake the like the rich. U.S. itself. Yep. We are so far in debt, and and yet we call ourselves the wealthiest country on earth. Yep. He is, you know, he's overweight. orange. He's he's, the, he's red. He's yeah. the same color as McDonald's. Yeah eerily an incarnation of everything that went wrong in this country yeah i think eerily you get the eerily. president you deserve there's all, that's been a saying throughout um u.s history is like you get the president that best represents the people at the time yeah 2016 he's the perfect representation of where the population was at agreed and um, he may still be we'll see for life but but the oh, God, <laughs> but, but 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 that point is like i feel like we deserve we deserve this. Like we deserve trump I, yeah. i've learned a lot about myself i include myself in that yeah i'm not saying like uh Oh, you people in the South and like, you know, it's like this is it's my fault, too. I yeah. I thought that we were in a post-racial world. We were like I, I really did when I was living in the buzzle, bubble in San Francisco. I was yeah. like, I remember a few years ago hearing about hate groups and being like hate groups in like, the U.S. In, in the U.S. There's Can't people be. putting swastikas like fuck those people. Yeah. And it's and if there is, it's like, you know, a very, very Tiny, small percentage. Three, four shaved head idiots. Yeah. In Alabama somewhere. I mean, that's not, not the, case. the case. Yeah. Way off, way off, so, so way off, and that was me, you know. And I was, I had a lot of thoughts like that. Yeah. So I, I, we thought like, oh, we put Obama in the White House. It's but we, we're good. I, we did it. <laughs> yeah. And and yet, like obviously nobody nobody saw this coming. But I think if you had actually paid attention, you probably could have. Right. Because, as you said, you get what you deserve. You get what you just. But, but I'm just, I just wanted to make it clear, like I include myself in that thinking. Yeah, we and are part of the you. We're part of the exactly. Yeah. You, we're part of the you. And if you want to like. Think about it. It's like, how many friends do you have that live in, you know, Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Idaho, Montana? Like, I don't know a lot of people in those parts of the country. Every state you just named, I name, I know one person of, of those, yeah. of that group. Right. And yeah. so it's like, we do have a responsibility to try to interact with these people around our country, like try to understand other perspectives. Yeah. And we're not putting in that effort. Right, but one side's not really putting in the effort either. You know what I mean? And it's. I think it's definitely worse on one side versus the other. <laughs> yeah, but I also yeah. think like that's that's another big issue is like we have been trained to think about things as if Black there's and white. exactly, yeah. and yeah. there's not two sides to any issue. No. There's so much nuance to everything. Right. And it's really hard to have like nuanced discussions with people today. It's either you're for it or against it. But I do find though that in one-on-one -on -one subjective conversation, mm -hmm. I'll just kind of add that you know, in a role in a job I had a few years ago, I had to travel all over the uh, U.S. I went to thirty-five states. Yeah. And in, in that in that time, I used to always like stay the weekend and get a drink, and like go out to local pubs. So if yeah. I'm somewhere deep in the middle of motherfucking Texas, like I would just roll up to like the local dive. With, Sup, dudes. You know what I mean? And yeah. I always had a blast. Yeah. And nobody. And like you said, I look like a Jewy kind of person. I went into places where like everybody knew I would, like, they would make jokes like, "Hey, there's a Hillary Clinton supporter." Like, yeah. literally, they would. And I would be like, "Yeah, yeah send him back." You know what? Like, joke <laughs> around with him, break balls. Yeah. And we'd all laugh. 
And there was always a moment when I was talking to these people where like we did connect on some things. Yes. I, there's no it's this it's it's the group staying in the silos, staying in the groups, talking as a part of a major population, like one side of, of many people versus the other side of many people. But one on one subjective conversations do change minds. Like Absolutely. When you, if you sit down with people, you can change their mind. And that's know? what we need to do. We just need to like be willing to talk to people and be willing to listen to people and actually hear what they're saying. Yeah. Because as you said, ultimately I think humans generally care about the same things yeah and we all want kind of the same things right you know i just want like security for me and my family i want to be able to access food and i want to live like a nice comfortable life where i'm not like stressing about where my next meal is going to come from right i think everybody would agree with that i think so too it's so basic but it's that is where we're all coming from but we got so far away from it because we don't value the same things and and um this all trickles up to the larger point where it's like if it is too late because it's too late with the climate and it's too late with everything else, like mm -hmm. I'd at least like to say, like, like I think of it in terms of karma, right? So if we put so much negative karma into the world that we're getting back this negative thing that's going to happen to us, I would at least like to say that like in the last stretch, at least like we're, while we're on the planet that we made some sort of engaged effort to, yeah, to, to just end it on a positive note. I yeah. guess <laughs> if we, if we have to flame out, let's like, as you said, go down swinging. Yeah. And like there is, it may be too late in the grand scheme of things, yeah. but in terms of our lives and you wanting to feel good about yourself, mm -hmm. you have to do some good to feel good about yourself. You have to do something. Yeah. So just do something. Do something good. Just, do something that makes you feel good. Yeah. And I, I and ideally is service-driven. Helps other people. Yeah. Ser yeah. Service and community-oriented. Yeah. I try to do that, too, with my own life. I mean, it's, it's you know... I won't get on this tirade, but it's different because, you know, I try to do, like, arts and stuff. But even that can be, like, you know, helpful to people, I think. Yeah. So. Do something good, man. Um, just, just do something. Andrew, I have a question for you. You know, we were talking about the natural order of things before, the natural law. Yeah. I know you're not, like, a, a God guy. Not a huge God guy. Yeah. So <laughs> we kind of accept that there are these natural rules for the way the world and the universe at large is ordered. Mm -hmm. Where did those rules come from? Um, where do they come from? Yeah. There's the natural cadence of things, uh, like, like the, like the yin and yang you're kind of talking about. Yeah. Like the natural tendency towards expansion in the universe, like the fact that gravity exists, like these mm -hmm. things that order the, you know, universe. I think that is a deep question. So we're going to take a second to think yeah, about it. Yeah, get them all over. Uh, I think that everything in the universe is striving to become a perfect version of itself. <laughs> the ultimate goal of everything that's alive, whether it's like I'll just looking at Earth, like a tree wants to get to a state where it's like the best version of a tree, the healthiest, happiest version of a tree, being its best tree, putting its best tree oxygen into the air. That's a good tree. That's a great tree. Uh, a tree. human, you know, say we were, we want, like you said, we want to do something that's purpose, that's service-oriented, that helps other people and helps us sleep good at night, contributing to the bigger picture. I think stars, I, th I think that like everything, I kind of have like an animism sort of viewpoint on mm -hmm. this where like everything has a soul and a consciousness in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it was created by a singular organized person by design. Mm -hmm. I don't think that somebody said, let me, let me create this. Thi and then actually to me, that theory makes no sense that like a singular person was like, I'm going to paint with my paintbrush this intelligently designed thing. Yeah. Um, and here's boom, here's this and boom, here's that. I think it's more likely that that the the material exists like you know obviously it's, it would be hard for me to i don't 
I don't think I have the signal to, to tap into a, a certain level. I get to a certain level where I don't think it's physically possible for me to think any deeper about it. Yeah. But I think I literally have barriers, I think, because of my synapses. But yeah. like, because our brains are, um, well, let me back up. Let me back. I really want to answer this question. It's a hard question. I really want to do the best job I can answering it, though. Yeah. Um, I think you asked me that question. I can only respond to it the best way that I can. Yeah. The reason I can only respond to it the best way that I can is because I have a brain which operates like a radio receiver, which takes in information at a certain signal. I have a blurry signal, and so do you. Yeah. Uh, are by design, we are not built to know the answers to those questions necessarily by the tools and the equipment that we're operating with right now. The things that we have. The things we have inherently available to right now. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why you see a lot of people try things like hallucinogenics, for example, to well, like cue in to a different signal. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Like, I'm about to get to that because – but – we do know that it's possible to cue into a higher signal, yeah, whether you're sure. meditating, whether you're taking mushrooms or ayahuasca or and not that those are things you should do all the time. But if chemically they are changing the way your brain is firing, your yeah. synapses are changing. And suddenly what you thought was form, what you thought was reality by a simple ingestion of a substance or by a simple deep state of meditation no longer is reality. Yeah. So that asks the, begs the question of like, what information are we even receiving? Because it's not even necessarily facts. It's not a complete set. It's not a complete set. Yeah. So it's subjective. Right. And but if that's the case, like. How do these laws and rules come from? So, like, where do they come from? Like, the, the, to me, it's like, okay, based on the limited signal that I'm receiving now, it seems like everything in the universe is striving to perfection. So, at first, there was, like, this, like, material that already existed. And, like, backing up to what I said earlier, I can't tell you where the material necessarily came from. Mm. But at some point, it was ignited. Maybe it just was always there. And maybe it is because I think that everything in, in, in life is cyclical, right? Yeah. So, you're born and you die, but I think that that's the same event. I, <laughs> I've, I've always felt that way. There's no difference. The end is the beginning. There's no difference. There's, there's the journey, but there's, there's, that's it. There's, the destination doesn't matter. Where you came from doesn't matter. It's just the journey is like we're supposed to be focused on, on this. Mm -hmm. It's a trip, man. Mm -hmm. like you're, uh, if you took a look at life, you're like, man, I'm on a long trip. I'm on this planet. I'm taking a trip. How long am I going to be here? Where is this going? I, 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 took a, I, took a, I took something. I'm on this trip. Yeah. I'm here to learn something, and then I'm going to leave. I'm gonna, when I'm finished with this, I, if I was a giraffe, I would finish my giraffeness, and I'll go back to wherever I came from. Yeah. Right? And so, then you'll be something else. And then maybe you'll be something else, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay. Uh, if so, in the beginning, there was this material that was around. I think it was ignited at some point, and then when it kind of th blustered up into the into the into everything that we know now, they're in motion. Everything is moving motion and mm -hmm. moving forward. Mm -hmm. So everything. The reason that there's laws is because the way that things grow is in a relationship to each other. Mm. So, like a tree in the forest on its own, this won't be a successful tree, actually. It's the forest that makes it successful. Yeah. There's, there's, um, you know, my, call like mycelial net, mycelial, mycelial, what's the fucking? Mushrooms, mycelium. Mycelial networks yeah. under the ground that help trees, a, tr a tree that's dying could actually send nutrients to a, a tree, you know, a tree, a tree that's yeah, living. Yeah, the trees, the trees help each other. Okay, so, so same with, I think of that, if you were to extrapolate out even further, the cosmos, the stars, the alignment of the planets, same all, kind of thing. Same kind of thing. Can't describe it necessarily. Yeah. But all striving for the best version of itself at one point, and then it dies and fades out, and that's no big deal. Yeah. So ultimately, I think collectively, I don't believe in a singular God organism. I think of a, I believe in a river that was already there. Yeah. Everything is a wave or a droplet in the river. All of experiences, every little organism that exists, like we are God. Yeah. We're all just ex an expression of it. I think if we had better signal and we were tuned in deeper then um, we would recognize that everything is connected. I think that yeah. what we can't see is the connection point. Yes. So that would be a much easier question to answer. Like, yes. where do these laws come from? If we could see 
if we could see the connections that that make us need to follow the law so that we can grow and evolve, which is also a concept in Ishmael. Yeah. So that's that's my answer. I, but no, like the idea that there's like there was this guy and he's like, well, I'm lonely. Let me uh, he whip something like, up. Doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah. But it does make sense that like there's this like universal energy of truth that expresses itself um, to get to a point of just, you know, I think like the Buddhists call it. Atman, the the Chinese call it sin sin. Like mm-hmm. it's like an ancient concept of just like the universal om. Yeah, um, the singular source, like the connectedness, like the divine the ecstasy of om. all that. Yeah, to get to that, I think requires a journey that like, collectively we're all taking. Maybe, maybe that's, that's the point. The point. Oh! Really good. I mean, maybe that. So everybody is always struggling with this question, like <laughs> why are we here? What is the purpose? And yeah. maybe that's it. Maybe it is that simple. Maybe. It's like you are striving towards finding that basic universal truth mm-hmm. and once you get there you've accomplished and you're ready to go and you can just you can just be present in the moment you can you can be part of the river you can be aware that yeah. you're in the river exactly and you can experience probably the joy and, and ecstasy that comes with that damn who would have thought all of life is just a big lazy river maybe it is why you not know, because really, love lazy rivers nothing is happening in life where we we invent it's all constructs in our heads like what's happening sure. There's nothing happening. A tree doesn't think about its treeness. It just is a tree. It just is. A giraffe doesn't think about its giraffeness. It just it just is its giraffeness. Yeah. Like, but we like think about like why am I this? Like, why did I turn out like this? Why do I do this? Like, nah, man. Like, just just be like be present, be in the moment. That's why like people meditate. That's why they paint. That's why they mm-hmm. make music. That's mm-hmm. why they do anything. Like anything creative is 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 to to tap into that like source. Yeah. To, and I think we're all striving for that. So I think like yeah. maybe the, if you said the earth is an organism, people don't look at it like that. They have the space effect. Well, what if you were God and you could zoom out and look at the whole universe? You might just see yourself. It might be like looking in the mirror. Yeah. Like you're just, and everything's within you. That's a trip. Fuck yeah, man. It's yeah. a deep, it's a deeply tuned in. That's the tagline for this podcast. Nice. Yeah. We're getting deep today. So, all right. Well, I mean, Hey, I think I might, I, I might end on that note. Yeah, not a bad place to wrap up. <laughs> And if you took anything away from today's podcast, it's read Ishmael. <laughs> yeah. Read Ishmael. Watch Lost. Watch Lost. Yeah. Go to Iceland. That's uh, it. The big three. But thank you, Will, for coming on. I really Oh, pleasure I was mine. Very much enjoyed this conversation. Sure, man. And uh, come on again sometime soon. Please. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right, everybody. That was Will Stein. Deep shit. Get out there and save the planet. Do your part. Thanks for listening. Follow me on Instagram at Insta Ginsburg. Later, nerds.